Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. What the hell is wrong with you people? I am not a monster. I'm a person with thoughts and feelings. For God's sake, I'm a grad student. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, after a recent tweet of mine, you texted me to say that I've officially joined the intellectual dark web. They haven't told me when my induction ceremony is yet, but when they do, do you want to come as my plus one? <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I'll take the dark pictures. Uh, how about that? Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so the tweet in question... What? When I saw it, dude, when I saw it, I was like, oh, God, you do not. Why? Like, why? 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 <laughs> I know. I, I'm going to tell I'm going to say why. But uh, let me just say what it is first, because I'm I'm on record in this on this podcast of, of saying that this is exactly the kind of thing I shouldn't do. Uh, (laughs) i think it wasn't that long ago it was like two episodes ago (laughs) so this is it was about the serena williams match and we're going to talk about that right like serena williams against naomi osaka in the u.s open final um and serena had uh trouble with the umpire had kind of an outburst and it was this big it was a big controversy that took away in my judgment, from just an incredible run at the U.S. Open by Naomi Osaka. Anyway, uh, Adam Weinstein, some guy, I guess, at BuzzFeed, uh, tweeted, and the reason I know about this is because a listener that I like and that um, and is a young philosopher, Ryan Lake, retweeted it and said he kind of agreed, even though he didn't know much about tennis, So this is the tweet that I was responding to. I see dudes complain that Serena Williams is rude, and I wonder if they grew up like me watching McEnroe and Connors be celebrated for irascible court douchebaggery or nah. It was the or nah that got me. Like, (laughs) Oh, it was his tone that bothered you. Yeah, just the (laughs) or nah. Like, it's not like it's, it's, you know, it's an incredibly insufferable tweet. And also just completely factually inaccurate. People were all over McEnroe. Nobody liked Connors. Nobody liked Connors, and certainly uh, nobody liked. No, I mean people like Connors. He was very right, popular. Well, but I mean, but but, if, but but wait wait wait. But <laughs> nobody celebrated Connors yelling at officials. McEnroe 
every once in a while you would have people who who liked that side of him because it was funny. He could be funny about it, but that was never true of Connors. And there were so many people who who criticized John McEnroe, who lamb- unfairly lambasted him, um, even when he was in the right or when it was reasonable. And when you compare that to Serena, not only was there not a double standard in the reaction. It, like Serena was getting way, way, way more love than either of those two did after an incident like what happened to Serena. So this is my judgment. This is what I tweeted. This is bullshit. Plenty of people complained about McEnroe, and nobody celebrated Connor's rants because he was just a dick. Mac could at least be funny. Serena getting way more love than either of them for their outbursts, which is fine. She's Serena, but this is just false. So I tweet that. And then this is what I have to live with in my life. If I tweet anything like this, my stepmother will retweet it. <laughs> and, then, and then my stepmother retweeted it. But then Ben Shapiro. I take it this is why you think I'm now inducted into the IDW. Ben Shapiro retweeted it. And I, I, I don't know for sure, but it's probably my most retweeted and liked. T- oh, uh, I, I put money on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's it at now? It's like almost 2,000 likes and 334 yeah. retweets, you know, which yeah. I didn't want and was like that. That was <laughs> that was never what I was, was right. after. But um, but uh, but I stand by everything i said and i i I i'm not even sure i would do it again like i would just not do it even if i could because that i really was bothered by how people reacted to that and so well so okay so so as uh you know we talked a little bit about this and we decided like at first i was like no tamla's not gonna want to talk about this on the show but but we're more broadly, we didn't even realize how much tennis fans we were. Yeah, uh, we had we've never really talked about it. So I grew up, you know, we watched soccer as a kid, but tennis was always on. Right, if there was any tournament to this day, you know, my my mom who could give not a fuck about sports is a huge tennis fan, and um and I loved watching it. I watched McEnroe and Connor. We're both old enough. Somebody accused you of not being old enough. Yeah, which was the funniest. <laughs> The funniest exchange. I was was like, yeah, well, thank you. But unfortunately, you're wrong. I am old enough. McEnroe was like Um, the first pro athlete I was like such a huge fan of. Yeah, it is funny. It's a, it's a, I, I, Texted to you that uh, how predictable it was that you liked McEnroe and, and I was a fan of Yvonne Lendl, who had like zero charisma. But <laughs> that's not predictable because I didn't know that there were fans of Yvonne. <laughs> um, uh, so I, you know, to to me, reading all of these exchanges and your tweet, I I can't help but think that people are just talking about very different things. And there's this this like outrage that's going over. It's it's just missing its target. So so let let me make an attempt at unpacking a little bit. So um, one is whether or not uh, the ref's call and and his subsequent calls to penalize a point was unfair. So so there's there's that question, right? If if there is a sense that, that this is unfair and the thing that she got penalized for was that uh, in tennis, you're not allowed to communicate with your coach during a match or even during warmups. 
And apparently there was a hand signal. That much is is true. He was trying to send her a hand signal. To come into the net. Yeah, yeah. and whether or not she saw that hand signal, it seems as if she probably didn't. But the rule but the states coach, that that's irrelevant. He's yeah. not allowed to give her hand signals not, wh- right. whether or not she sees. Now, the, I think what was at question was whether or not anybody else, right? As far as I understand it, this is not an uncommon practice at all. Right. And and to get penalized for it seems seems like it's not at least it's not par for the course to mix sports. Um and now so but but, so I think but we can, just to some context yeah. on that. It's not like it's never called. It's rarely no. called and right. I don't it probably shouldn't be called in the final of a Yeah, of a it would be like plan. calling a penalty in the you know in the extra time in a soccer game when it was, you know, when there was yeah, like a ticky-tack penalty. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um and then there's the question of whether or not her tantrum is justified or not justified but whether we should we should condemn her or whether this is a bad sportsmanship or whatever. And I think I'm fine saying that Serena shouldn't throw tantrums. Just as like I'm fine. I actually hated McEnroe when I was growing up. I hated Jimmy Connors a little bit less. McEnroe just seemed to have this fucking delight in doing it. And here is where I think I disagree with you just about some empirical facts about whether or not people. Of course, of course, he was condemned routinely for his tantrums. Um, but there were a lot of people who just did like him for his tantrums. I mean, and I don't think they were that funny. Like I don't like. I think he, they were just genuine outbursts. I think in interviews he was more personable and charming. But I think his on-court behavior was as irascible as you know, if if not but, more. But, so lots of male players have outbursts. Federer has. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Nadal right. has, but Djokovic has. Like all of these guys, yeah, they they've had outbursts. They've had rants. Nobody likes them because of those rants. They're always I, regrettable. They're always, you like them in spite of the rants. McEnroe might be the one exception. I maintain because he could be clever and he could be funny. Uh, but even the, but he was getting tons of shit. But here, the empirical disagreement is over the difference between them. Serena is routinely celebrated. My empirical disagreement with you was the claim that like that what matters here is that that McEnroe was was vilified in the press. And I he and was. I think that I, so he was, but he was also glorified in a way that and, and it's not just McEnroe. I mean, people like Agassi, who like they develop a reputation for sort of, you know, being emotional and and people but that's part of who they are so is serena part of their serena th- i mean that is definitely true to the extent that it's true of agassi it's even more true of serena that she people love how much she care and and rightly so and how much passion and competitiveness but for tantrum like as but i don't th- like, again, i don't, know I don't think agassi was up. celebrated for any tantrums i think McEnroe was for sure like that like i think if i recall correctly even had sponsorships that were sort of playing up on that bad boy image only i don't think serena's but right (laughs) so mcenroe did because that was part of his it's not part of serena's identity it's not part of any other male's player's identity to the extent that it was for mcenroe maybe ili nastasi but nobody liked ili nastasi either uh, yeah. And the people who respond to say that he had a cute, cuddly nickname, Na- Nasty Nastasi, like, 
that's not <laughs> that nasty has become like maybe now if you watch porn that's like that's that's, that's by the way Nas's nickname is a horrible horrible cultural appropriation of one of the great rappers nasty Nas. like <laughs> can you culturally appropriate something before like 30 yeah. years before that person is born hey i don't know <laughs> So, like, maybe so, maybe so. I I just don't see anybody. I mean, maybe people people really celebrate Serena for for her displays of emotion, and maybe maybe that's the case. And maybe McEnroe is just the one example. Uh, you know, I don't know of any woman who's been celebrated for that kind of behavior. Um, I, I'm perfectly fine saying that she shouldn't throw tantrums. I don't like it. And if people celebrated her for those tantrums, I think it would be bad. I think people celebrate her for a lot of times, especially like her behavior afterwards when she was being so kind to Osaka, uh, like, you know. Okay. So can I, I mean, can, can we go into the details of what happened? Because sure, yeah. I watched, did you watch the the final? I didn't watch it live, no. So I watched it live. So just to give context for my reaction and why I am, I might seem like I care about this more than <laughs> I should. Uh, I watched it live. I'm a big Serena fan. I I always, I almost always root for her. I wouldn't say I always, but I almost always. There's no other female tennis player that I that I like more. And I'll also say that I think that both her and her sister, but maybe Serena especially, have been in the past treated unfairly and been victims of racist, really bad treatment from the tennis community. And that most of the time, they rise above it in a way that is beyond admirable, right? Yeah. Now, I'd also, I've been watching this tournament, and this Osaka, I started to really like. She's like this... Uh, she's born in Japan, but she's lived in the United States for most of her life. But she has a very strong Japanese identity, very polite, very shy, but also speaks her mind. Serena was yeah. her idol. She was why uh, her father started started training her at a, at a very young age, kind of modeling. So I really liked her. I found myself rooting for her during the match because she's a really likable and, and, and an, an incredible talent. And unflappable and really she's strong I, did, I I won't say I knew her before this tournament but I started rooting for her during this tournament and found myself to my surprise rooting for her to beat Serena in the match because this is her idol and Serena yeah. is her you know this is this is this Which is, is an weird incredible usually usually you root for like the clear dominant ones like you know the Patriots and the Celtics. Like you, you usually favor people who are winning, so you can just ride that that wave. Of, right. of, it has nothing to do with the fact that I grew up in Boston. No, not but at all. <laughs> moving on. So <laughs> Osaka crushes her in the first set, six two, and is down a break in the second set, but immediately breaks back and. Somewhere in there, either before Serena broke her or when um, or when Naomi Osaka broke back, uh, the, the first violation happened. Now, this is, it's a violation. It's a violation that is, although Serena has to suffer it, it is a violation on the coach for signaling, right? right. It's not a violation that says Serena saw it or that they have some special code or anything like that. You didn't need it was clear that what he was telling her to do. Uh, and Serena 
re- reacted to that by saying, I'm not a cheater. I'm a mother. I'm not a cheater. I would never cheat. I would rather, <laughs> I would rather lose than cheat. Nobody yeah. called her a cheater. It was a violation that the coach committed, and that is a vi- and that is a genuine violation that m- probably the but, umpire shouldn't have called. But nobody called her a cheater, and she well, she I wouldn't mean, let it. Like, what? I I think that that from the perspective of a player, like she didn't even realize that the coach had signaled that, so she's getting this call saying that you know the rule is that there's communication. And that's what's no, forbidden. The rule she knows is it's forbidden that the that the coach is not allowed to it signal. Says, it says no communication between the coach and the player, right? And that's open for interpretation, obviously, because because is it intended communication does have to be received. But that's not even important. What what I think is being caught by surprise that you were accused of exchanging signals in a way that you know is, is violating the rules and getting penalized for it. I, like, if anything, I thought you you would be in pro of like in favor of her defending her honor being leveled. Like she didn't know that her coach had actually tried that you would say like, yeah, like we don't that's, know that's that she didn't like, know it, but let's assume for the sake of yeah, argument that, that she, she did seemed it. genuinely surprised. But, yeah. but yeah, we don't know. We don't right? know we don't for know. sure. Uh, the coach seemed to, the coach definitely did it. He admitted it yeah. afterwards. I think she couldn't, she, there's no way that she, was completely shocked, even if she didn't see it, that the coach had done it, right? Right. Because it's a standard thing that coaches do. She's been in matches where that's been called before. Right. And so she knows that this is... Now, this gets called. This was called twice in the U.S. Open. Um, not only twice. There are like 100 matches, and it was only called twice before. But it does get called, And to say that it is an tantamount to an accusation of cheating is, in my view, ludicrous. It is a violation. It is a gamesmanship violation that a lot of people do, like taking too long to serve, you know, taking, uh, bouncing the ball too many times. I, I mean, that you could say that's cheating. You're not allowed to do that, but. It, it, yeah, this. I mean, this one. You don't agree that this one strikes more as cheatery than than taking too long. I mean, there's a difference between like getting illegally coached and and bouncing the ball too many times. And one, I think the clear goal is to get an edge up on the competition. Unless you're really doing something weird with that ball. Both of like them. That, you know? No, no, no. You're you're taking too long either to to psych them out or to give yourself more time to rest before the next point. I mean, you're always doing these things for an advantage, right? Yeah, but you could do a little bit of that stuff psyching out. That's not I just like it seems to me that on the face of it, the communication between coach and player okay. is so, is a clear so, clear instance of a cheatery attempt. So even so, okay, yeah, what, uh, even granting you that, she had to know that there was a good chance that the coach really did signal her. So I, and that's what he was calling. Yeah, that's what the maybe. the guy was calling, right? And. And given that it is technically correct, it's a technically correct call, to keep at him, which she was, at every changeover, I'm not, I demand an apology. I am a mother. I would never cheat. I demand an apology. I could, she kept at it at every, at every changeover. So then the next changeover, or, or, or at the end of another game, she throws her racket down and breaks her racket. 
And that's another violation. Nobody disputes that that's a violation. Yeah. You're not allowed yeah. to do that. And because she had had the earlier violation, now that's a point against her. And then she lost her mind, again, demanding apologies. There's no way the judge can apologize or the umpire no, but, can but, apologize but, for making a technically correct call. There's no... Well, but this is true in all sports, right? Like the amount of complaining that you get in sports is like, it's never the case that, that they're going to reverse a call. So, but what I just want to be clear because I, I actually, you know, no, no, no but, but, but apolo- she wanted an apology. No, no, I know. But like the words that she chose, I just want to be clear whether you, th- you think that it was that she threw a tantrum that, that is is wrong. And like when McEnthrow threw a tantrum, you, it was wrong can- too, but you somehow like, yeah, I, I love Serena. Like, I, I don't think that this detracts from her greatness. I'm just saying she was clearly in the wrong. She was riling the crowd up for something that they shouldn't have been riled yeah. up for. She was taking the spotlight away from a, a young star from right. uh, who idolized her, and she knew she was doing this. And bringing in the fact that she was a mother rubs me the wrong way too in that that had nothing to do with what was going on in the and and the whole thing about hugging her afterwards like like any like half decent person would do that this girl was crying you've ruined the great what could have been the greatest moment of her life she has played a part in in really diminishing that Sure, I just, re- I mean, but that doesn't mean we can't give her credit for doing it because she didn't have to do it. Like, that, I think she right. would have been a, yeah. she would have been a horrible person to not yeah. do it. But I give, and I think she saw way she more done. credit than that. Like, and I don't think it was this incredibly <laughs> nice gesture. I think it was Serena at some level realizing, oh man, like I, I really shouldn't have reacted in this way to to what happened because right. it wasn't that bad yes maybe there's okay. a double standard maybe when he called her him a thief he should no i actually not even maybe i don't think he should have given the game penalty uh, yeah that's i think that's at the heart of it and that's why i'm more resistant to this because i think that that giving the game the the a game away or a game uh penalty just taking a whole game and just giving it to osaka like osaka didn't want well that's part of the rule though he can't give an he can't give another penalty besides that right so in normal circumstances they would just warn and you know plenty of plenty of players have come out to say like i've said so much worse shit and only gotten warnings and i think that's at the heart of this which is and this is something we can never know you know and maybe the ump doesn't even know whether or not that decision was driven by some double standard of treatment for Serena as a person, Serena as a woman, Serena as a black person. Who knows? Who knows? All we know is that normally that wouldn't occur and it wouldn't occur in under these circumstances. That's what's at debate is, is whether or not this is by dint of her being either a woman or, or a black person or a black woman. Right. And that we can't, that's one of those questions where given the context that you so, uh, you pointed to, like what they've dealt with in their past, I don't see it as a stretch that she would be incensed thinking that it might be one of those instances. Okay, so I'm with you there, but my objection to her behavior comes before that, like how she acted before the game was taken away from her, because this was all set in motion before that. And then, yes, do I think that the umpire under those circumstances should, should just have said, look, if you say one more, if you call me a thief one more time, or you ask that I apologize one more time, I'm going to have to take a game away from you. I don't want to do that, but I'm going to have to do it. 
And then if she had done it, then, you know, you know, there's and nothing is, he can do. But at, but he sh- so that's fine. But yeah. the fact is that that how she acted before that was is is a is a real problem because she was already taking away from Osaka who is and and Osaka was winning and this was her way of of taking it she would never have reacted that way if she had been winning to that for sure I think and but this is a little bit why I think that that and even this conversation I think it becomes like I it's like I, I'm with you on, and I even texted you that I'm with you on just the condemnation of of her behavior before the decision. That's why I was saying that I think people are arguing sort of they're crossing their streams here in a weird way, where the outrage is about the decision to dock her a point, and the other people are saying, "But like you're not you're not admitting that her behavior was horrible, and every everybody knows that that behavior was horrible, and she was be throwing a tantrum and lost control." And I think those two things are are totally right. <laughs> well, yeah, right? and I don't even know about horrible, but just definitely. Yeah, well, that's what that criticizes me a little bit, right? Because right. I was I was like, if you're a McEnroe fan, then you have a high tolerance for that stuff. I've never liked when Connors or McEnroe did that shit. Like I always thought it was so petulant. Um, so I don't have a problem. But so, but that, that wasn't sort of the narrative. After this is what was frustrating <laughs> about that guy's tweet is the narrative was that Serena was entirely the victim of this. Again, yeah. Osaka, who is really who my heart went out for in this whole thing, she was just getting relegated to just nothing. She won her. She's twenty years old. She won her first Grand Slam championship. She, this was her first Grand Slam final. She's idol. The person she beat was her idol. Like none of that mattered. Serena yeah. was a victim, and that was the narrative. So then to see people like this guy, who I don't believe watched tennis when he was. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and, and I, so, along so with me, people like Ryan Lake, who I have ton of respect for, just sort of agreeing with him in spite of the fact that they didn't watch the match, they don't know anything about tennis or the yeah. rules or anything. It just struck me as like I get why these conservative people are react this way to like this kind of just unthinking like assumptions of racism and sexism. But what I'm saying is is that you can understand those reactions since they were after the game that they were responding to the events as they unfolded in their completion like the the docking of one point like if they think that that was unfair and whether or not it was consciously done so that it was a result of of who Serena is that then that se- that seems like that's what they're reacting to but that's and not what the the guy's tweet is i see dudes complain that Serena Williams is rude not I see, like, the, he's not talking yeah. about the umpire at all. Yeah. Like, and he, that's, he, that, I agree he, with you. You're one of no, those dudes that's complaining no, about her rudeness. Yeah. And there's, there's no, and there's, this is why it's horrible. Like, there's no subtlety in these discussions. Either you agree that everything bad that happened to Serena seem, is because of uh, her being a woman or a black American. Or you seem just to be like in, could deny that any any anybody's comments at all about Serena are racist or anybody's actions toward her. Like it's it's one or the other in a way where it's like it's clearly it seems to me that she shouldn't have thrown a tantrum, and also the ump probably shouldn't have done that. And whether or not one of them is, but it gets just lost in the. It just gives me a fucking stomachache the way people react on Twitter. You know, I like it's. There's no subtlety there. There's no and and what really freaks me out a little bit is in your tweet 
when you, you in fact were specifically talking about that point that that guy had made. I don't think it gets read that way. I think it gets read as like, why are people seeing racism and sexism where there is none? And that's why like all of the Ben Shapiro folks like it. And it's, and you are more subtle than that. Like you. uh, Right. Yes. Thank you. And it, it just gets kind of like, yeah. But, well, but I, mean, I will say that in the responses have... to it, I, I don't know if I agree that the responses to it. Now, there's some that are over the top, but a lot of them are just agreeing with me that the reaction to McEnroe right. and Connors was also people people really didn't like them th- for when they the, did this stuff. And the truth is that some people will like them. Some people will hate them. Right. Some people like Serena's outburst. Some people don't. Like, and, and in some cases it really is because like, you know, did you see that Australian cartoon depicting Serena? I, um, I, I didn't see it. I read about it. Yeah, I, I, it's just like, it, it's, it's like, it's one of those things where, you know, maybe as an Australian, he doesn't realize like the imagery that he's using. It's just, it's pretty, it's just like a mammy throwing a tantrum with like super nappy hair in the air like in a (laughs) stereotypical face it's like really just a a horrible image and it's like well look like i i don't need to argue that everybody who disagrees with serena's behavior is doing so because they're racist Uh, but all i do know is that that give you know given the history in this country and her own personal history it's it's not difficult to arrive at a story that the way that she ended up getting treated was but but I I also think you're being too easy on the side that was frustrating me because people were just unthinkingly assuming that this particular incident uh, that anytime somebody even gave a reasonable like expressed reasonable frustration that Serena Williams had kind of uh, fucked over this uh, young star who was beating her and taken away from uh, the triumph that she should have experienced like people who are frustrated about that like me even people who are big Serena fans like that 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 somehow we were complicit in some overall thing and I just think that that's that's not good that people do that it's it's not good and it happens it happens on both both ends and in some ways the liberal reaction is is in in some domains even even sharper and more black and white where there it's it's almost as if what what you were communicating wasn't the thing that you were saying it was the fact that you were tweeting against anything against Serena that put you on a team that they didn't see as the right team. That's it. Like, I'm not saying you did it. I'm saying that's how, that's how the tweets are interpreted. Well, but I, I, I'm not sure that I agree. Like, you know, I then had interchanges with people I know, you know, or people I know from social media, like Ryan and, uh, and Mike Davey. And we like, were able to, like, I think I communicated to them how I felt and to a lot of people like, but now I'm sure there were some, people that uh i was communicating sending signals that i definitely didn't want to send <laughs> yeah, but it's not yeah, like yeah. people aren't capable of detecting any kind of nuance no nah, it's an argument yeah it's an argument more about like the the severity of the response among some people yeah. where you know they'll just see it as dog whistling or whatever they call it and and it's sad because that actually means i'm 
it's it, it means that you're less likely to try to engage in subtlety over Twitter, which may be <laughs> that's a, yeah that's a, maybe is that a bad that's thing? just a less <laughs> yeah is that a bad thing? <laughs> I mean, Twitter is just like like it's yays and boos, and then like whatever whatever specific thing is being yayed and booed about, right? And and it's just not I don't know it's a fucking dumpster fire. I agree. I I do think that this made me so. Should we just and, and feel free to say no. <laughs> Should we just get all the intellectual dark web, like the the stuff out on the table? Like I think this incident and the Louis C.K. doing a surprise set at the Comedy Cellar for ten minutes, like has has made me sort of I don't know. Like I, I I understand now the the sort of conservative reaction against yeah. Um, I'm I mean I'm. <laughs> I maybe maybe by understand you mean something different because I feel like I I've understood it you know especially being raised pretty conservative but um, well yeah that's that's the playground that is the playground the playground is now what worries me is that I I've, I've seen I think and we've talked about this we see people getting pushed um, in one direction or another by by praise and reinforcement where like you you know you're a, by all accounts a liberal person and. The liberal response, or at least I, sh- I shouldn't say the liberal, the knee, the knee jerk um, response that you were dog whistling somehow that you're racist gets you sort of pushed out of the left and moved a little bit more toward the right. And I, I, I see that as <laughs> you like see, a, this is just I mean, the yeah. start. This is how it starts. Like this is how me, this yeah. is how it begins. I know it does worry me. And in some ways, the left, you know, Jesse Single has has been very vocal about this. So like to. As, as people on the left to not accept, to be blind to the irrationality of the left and not to point it out as a member of the left is is just as bad as being a member of the right and not pointing out the irrationality and the knee-jerk reactions on the right. I think both of these things are pernicious, horrible effects on public discourse. And we should, you know, if a Republican calls out a liberal for being too emotionally reactive about something, then it's so easily dismissed. Um, uh, likewise, the other way around it, we, like we have to be the ones to call, to Each call other our out. own people out yes. yeah, and say, yeah, I know. I agree. Um, in that it, spirit, can we briefly discuss the Michael Che? Uh, oh yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. I thought it was the best and most interesting take on Louis CK and it was like expressing more art like i didn't even understand why i was frustrated with the left's reaction to it but then after reading this just indie wire piece i realized that's it so i think i read i don't remember if i read the whole michael che piece but tell so so summarize so the the background is louis ck for those who doesn't this was like two culture war news cycles ago <laughs> but <laughs> so uh louis ck for the first time since you know the new york times article about whipping his dick out comes on the uh, the comedy cellar which is what they do if you go to the comedy cellar you might chances are if you're there on a friday or saturday night some big time comic will come on and do a surprise set and they right. do it for free, and they're trying out new material. The last time I was there, Ray Romano came on, and that was the big surprise. And Louis has done this a uh, hundred times. 
and it's fun for the crowd and that's just how it is and so he came on he did about 10 minutes of material didn't acknowledge anything just it was just 10 minutes of new material people were clapping and then uh it was this weird phenomenon afterwards almost every single article that came out was just appalled and shocked he's learned nothing we've learned nothing it was like the whole me too movement had been set back because of what louis ck did but then like whenever i would talk to people nobody would think that at all but that was every <laughs> single article that I read right. was, and I and I find that I found that really bizarre, and I found the whole thing like he's like, oh, so I guess he doesn't have to suffer any punishment, or and I guess he doesn't have to like take any consequences for what he did, and and there was something about that that I just found so bizarre. Like I think there's room for disagreement as to how much he deserves, how much you know, how much punishment yeah. he deserves. But the idea that he'd suffered nothing just seemed crazy to me. And so then I read this thing from Michael Che where he says, let me get the thing up so I can just quote him. And uh, so Michael Che, Saturday Night Live guy, also another comic. And he says, what's interesting to me about these articles against Louis C.K. performing is how important fame is to people. A lot of what I read says that CK shouldn't get to be a famous comedian anymore because to them, he's still winning. Isn't that strange? And then this is the key quote. Louis CK can be shamed, humiliated, lose millions of dollars, lose all of his projects, lose the respect of a lot of his fans and peers, and whatever else that comes with what he did. But since he can still do a comedy set for free at, at a 200-seat club a year later, it means he got off easy. And I, I think that's absolutely right. Like, and I would, the only thing I would add to that list of the consequences that he suffered is he has two teenage daughters that now know what he did. Like, right. like imagine Bella or for me Eliza just knowing that that's what I've done. Like, I, just, I can't think of anything worse than that. My she, my daughter would not just not forgive me. <laughs> She's just not forgive me ever. <laughs> we're gonna have to i might come back to restorative justice and 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 just beg for i mean it for, would completely uh, alter your relationship so like i guess that's what i it was it's this it's this disconnect for me that he got off easy like i don't think he has got off easy and i think if you take all those things into account it's totally reasonable to think that after nine months plus all of that stuff that he could be working on some material at the comedy center uh, yeah i i you know last time we talked about louis ck when when the shit hit the fan one of the things we're saying was that uh, any discussion about severity and the calibrated sort of moral sanctions for different kinds of infractions like that it, that has just gotten lost a long time ago so he there's just you know like bill cosby on the one hand and i don't know who's a who's a saint uh michael landon how about that for an old an old reference um 
And you're right. You, I bet he was a scumbag, actually. <laughs> There's no way he wasn't a scumbag. <laughs> All He's right, Mr. creepy. Rogers. That's Mr. Rogers. Yeah, okay. Okay. That's somebody who's an undeniable saint. And there's no, there's no, people just, they, they're inferring some sort of intent in your communication when you say something like, uh, well, what Aziz Ansari did doesn't deserve the same response as what Bill Cosby did. Like that enough, that statement that you are willing to talk about that is enough to, to just get people. Uh, it's like saying upset. all lives matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is dickish. They know what they're doing when they say that. Um, and, you don't think all lives matter? Only. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I fell into the trap. But all lives includes black lives. How could you be against it? But there's another really interesting thing, and that gets to something else that we've talked about, which is the nature of his public persona and why it seems more egregious. To be. You know, if if Louis C.K. were a welder who had whipped his dick out and then went back to welding like, a couple months later, no one would care, A, right. because he's not famous. But even if he were a famous welder, I don't know. Like, uh, CEOs have engaged in a horrible behavior, and they and they go back to work. And, and I don't think they get and a they different get the job, same, maybe. Yeah. Maybe at a different job, right? But what's a different job, you know? What's a different job for Louis C.K.? Yeah. Is is a different club? A different deal with a different movie yeah. production company? Um, it's unclear. It's unclear what, what he's supposed to do. Um, other than start working at Subway or something, you know, would that be, would that fit him or, but I still think if he just took a job in the back of a writer's room, people would have less problem with it. I think there is some lay perception that both because his comedy is, is a reflection of, you know, we're laughing at the insightful, truthful things about his life, that that's been marred somehow. And that his, that, that it is such a public performance of that, yeah. I think is what's getting people riled up. Here's where I want the market to really kick in. If you don't, if you don't want Louis C.K. to perform, then don't don't support him. And I know that might sound like a cop out, but for for these situations in which like he hasn't, to my knowledge, been arrested or you know, like there is a real reason why we should choose what media to consume and why we should care if we want to speak about whether we think this person deserves our attention and our time, then just fucking ignore him if you don't. I don't know. But I, so, I know. so that's, I, I completely agree with you, but that, <laughs> that would put you at opposed to almost every article that came out right afterwards because a lot of them were lambasting the, guy, the comedy seller owner yeah, this, for letting him yeah. do the set, you know? I, that, I mean, I, I think that's, that's, contrary to the spirit in which i think this stuff should be taken care of i i would disagree in the sense that you should not confuse i think this is what people think they think this one guy with his little comedy club who let louis ck on stage is reflective of society letting white men slide with like pretty nasty behavior toward women right now maybe that's the case and and you know maybe there's needs to be a symbolic you know like lynching of louis ck but um to, to just complain about it I, it's not I don't know he's just going to get more people he's going to he's just going to get more attention he's gotten more attention now than anything else like Michael Richards got just ignored right, right? right. I think uh, like I think <laughs> partly because the market will decide in a way that the people don't like which is I think people would be I here here's what I think so I have absolutely no problem with him performing at the cellar 
uh, or the someone letting him perform at the cellar. I do think it might have been incumbent on him to mention what happened, yeah. which apparently he didn't do. And I would be fascinated with a Louis C.K. special. You know, now he puts them up on his own site anyway, so like he doesn't need. Yeah. I, I'd be fascinated with that if part of it included him reckoning with what he did. Yeah, I would be much less interested if he was just going to do another sort of Louis C.K. like yeah. stand-up special. Like part of I think what is driving people to want him to return is he seems like somebody that could do something interesting with the yeah. humiliation and and really reckoning with the wrongs that he committed. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that's and if he did if he did something independently like that and really sort of combine a comedy special with with sort of a, a soul searching about what happened because I do, like I don't want none, none of what I'm saying about the market taking care of this is to is to at all say that that I think that I like what he did or in fact even that I would you know I, I don't think I would buy a movie of his now if it just if he just ignored it like and just, just try to get on with it like, but not everybody can be Bill Cosby like you know not, not everybody there has to be a way for men behaving badly to to make better to reconcile there has to yeah. be a way in which we start allowing people to to just say like I fucked up and you don't have to like me, but I need you to hear what I did or, or whatever. And not just com- silence everybody who does wrong. Because I think we have, I think along the lines of what you're saying, we have a lot, we could learn from him saying some of the most powerful testimony is of this, the sort I did this, I used to do this, I used to be this. And now I, I did otherwise like, you know, I don't know. There's too much. And we do have to be able, I know Matt Damon got into big trouble, but we do have to be able to make distinctions in terms of what, uh, you know, like while still not exonerating a person or, uh, or still acknowledging that, that what they did was bad. We can't lump everybody together. We really do. Otherwise, I don't know. It seems like the temptation will be to, exonerate everybody rather than convict everybody like <laughs> Roxanne Gay who's you know New York Times columnist or or a guest columnist I guess she wrote something kind of outraged at Louis CK for coming back but then even she was very frustrated <laughs> I saw this on Twitter that people were lumping Aziz Ansari in with Louis, <laughs> with Louis CK yeah. and Harvey Weinstein but I think right. you could be similarly outraged that people are lumping Louis CK in with Harvey Weinstein because they're completely right. different kinds yeah. of offenses yeah I mean our our minds aren't really built to to make these sharp these very very clear definitions but all, but that's all that's saying is that it takes effort. And the other thing I'll say is that we have to be, I think, really vigilant that we're applying the same, you know, once we get, if we are able to get calibrated, then we have to make sure that we're calibrated equivalently among whatever, you know, black guys who do something bad and women who do something bad in the same way. Like, as, as long as we're vigilant about that. We have to be similarly forgiving if a woman exactly. wh- whips out her dick than if a man... Her, her strap-on. Wait, women don't have... 
Can I say there's one other element, though, to both these stories? It was actually the thread that connected them to me, which is that at least, you know, right following the event, the reaction from the media, the popular media, seemed very much at odds with the reaction of people that I know. Now, the people that I know are liberal and racist acad- whites. academics. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, even, you know, in, in, yeah. and I think there is something to maybe the fact that for the people who were really outraged by Louis C.K. going up or that was an opinion that they felt confident expressing, but the people who weren't didn't feel that way didn't feel confident expressing it right this is not to i'm not going full john height here at all (laughs) listeners know my feelings about that yeah but but i but i do think that that this this is a result of the particular like the particular context in which you find yourself i think that that the same might be true for the right wingers but but there are powerful media outlets i don't know i don't know if we're just more likely to read the liberal media i honestly don't know but i will say this you're so much more of a moral busybody than you ever like to admit (laughs) there was something about (laughs) these two stories that got me i mean there's been a hundred other ones that i couldn't give a shit about like the sarah jiang thing like couldn't yeah. give a shit either way. Like, let everybody get all worked up about yeah. it. I don't give You're a consistent in your inconsistency. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we are, and we actually, what should be really bothersome is that the only reason that you're like that is because of some combination of your environment and your. Uh, yes. <laughs> did we even say we didn't? We didn't. <laughs> On. Uh, yeah. Go for it. On today's episode, God, if it, if this even becomes an episode we're gonna gonna be talking about uh, a paper by george schur philosopher at rice who i i know pretty well and who i like a lot um called but i could be wrong about what to do once we realize that our moral beliefs are contingent upon a lot of cultural environmental factors and that we have no specially good reason to think that our beliefs are true and that the people who disagree with us, that their beliefs are false. After having con- convincingly argued for our own moral positions, especially aft. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's take a break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Uh, welcome all new IDW listeners who have come because of Tamler's tweet. <laughs> because Ben Shapiro co-signed, yeah. co-signed Tamler uh, on on Twitter. This is all just uh, this is all just a long con to get to get listeners <laughs> to indoctrinate you into our left wing uh, identity <laughs> politics. <laughs> exactly. So no, thank you to all our listeners. Uh, we we really really appreciate all the support you give us, both in the form of writing to us, reaching out to us, um, all your comments, uh, your tweets, your emails, your Facebook posts. Your it it keeps us going, and we read them all. We read them all, especially in those nights of insomnia where I can't, I can't handle doing actual work. I would say the one um, exception, and it's, and it's an exception for yeah. you. You never read Facebook messages, so mm. just don't Facebook <laughs> yeah. message, especially Dave, because he doesn't read them. <laughs> yeah, no, I there I have an aversion to Facebook, but but I don't I don't so know. You're still trying to be young. Exactly, catch me on Snapchat. Um, so if you do want to get in contact with us and be one of those kind or angry listeners uh, that reaches out to us, you can do so very bad wizards at gmail.com. You can tweet to us at Tamler at peas or at very bad wizards. You can um, leave a comment on Facebook. You can go to our Instagram. You can also, if you become one of our Patreon supporters, you can also communicate with us there, which brings us to the second way in which you can support us that we really, really appreciate. And at least Tamler has done uh, some good work in giving the promised bonus content. So Tamler, you recently released a three, is that right? Three hour episode? Three hour episode, breaking down Twin Peaks, the series, but especially the latest season and fire walk with me um but certainly it was great it was yeah did i mention it was with jesse graham natalia washington the philosopher and psychologist philosopher and psychologist (laughs) from utah both big twin peaks fans that were as obsessed with it as i was and it was awesome i really enjoyed that conversation (laughs) and we could have gone we might do another one we've we're already in talks to do another one uh based on a series of questions a couple of which have been asked by uh already by our listeners in response so yeah there's been really good feedback so um if you want to be able to listen to that um you can become a patreon supporter uh, that's for our $2 and up per episode yep. uh, supporters and we'll do more of those hopefully I can catch up let me ask you really quickly how important is fire walk with me crucial it is okay yeah. Yeah. all right uh, so I gotta watch that it's I, not I damn like it I it's some, like I it's, 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 it's argue no, it know. might be his best movie like it's amazing erase your head no. so if you would like to support us and listen to the bonus content you can go to patreon.com slash very bad wizards um you, uh, I also, I know I'm going to now say this for the next three months, but I'm also very close to having the new beat, <laughs> the new beat CD, the beats without rhymes, volume four, volume four, um, volume four. I know. Uh, so if you would like to support us that way through the more tangible means, patreon.com slash very bad wizards, or you can go to our support page and there are a couple of other ways to support us. You can give us a one-time donation via PayPal and you can can go to Amazon through our link, click on uh, the Amazon link and shop as you would normally. Nothing changes for you. We just get a little piece 
uh, small percentage of, of the things that people buy and that, that we really appreciate that. Yeah. So thanks for everybody. Uh, thanks to everybody, I should say, uh, for, just, for, for all your support. We're just a mess at this point. We really are. <laughs> this is not working out. All right. Okay. Oh, wait. No, let me say really quickly. Uh, do you know when your audiobook is coming out? I think it's not coming out till November. Okay. Well, if you, can't, on the if you can't wait for the audiobook, buy Tamler's book and write him angry emails. But, but uh, tell a friend if you've already bought it and if you liked it. Um, I think we haven't plugged your book in a while, so no. I wanted. I've forgotten all about it. Yeah, <laughs> you've moved on. Like I, I care about honor or something. I don't. I don't totally remember. Am I pro it's, con? Do you remember? Uh, ben Shapiro says, "Great job." <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. That's the fucking problem. <laughs> if he would, Ben Shapiro, if you're listening, how about uh, how about promoting the book? three or four more tweets that a dog whistle to our crowd and i'll get you i'll get you that (laughs) yeah what's the next how many more dog whistles do i send out well well, let's first take care of that that's the good thing about sam harris he doesn't require any dog whistles (laughs) that's right (laughs) Uh, all right so Today we're going to talk about a yeah a paper by George Schur, um, philosopher at Rice, as I said, called "But I Could Be Wrong." It's a very simple paper. It it reckons with two facts that are undeniable, I think. Although the second one needs to be argued for, and we can talk about that. The first is. I often disagree with others about what I morally ought to do. I disagree with other people about what the right moral thing to do is. And so that's number one. I think that's obviously true. Uh, The second one is the moral outlook that supports my current judgment about what I ought to do has been shaped by my upbringing and experiences. For just about any alternative judgment, there is some different upbringing and set of experiences that would have caused me to acquire a moral outlook that would in turn have supported this alternate judgment. So, you know, I'm pro-choice, but there's another kind of upbringing and set of experiences that I could have had that would have led me to be pro-life. And so on down the line for all these moral positions that we take and moral choices that we make. Um, So what do we do about that when we recognize that there that a lot of our moral beliefs and moral convictions and the things that make us act in the way we do, donate to various causes, vote for various candidates, um, they are based on things that are the result of, in some way, kind of an accident of our birth and the environment that we grew up in. How, how can we act according to, to these convictions when, when we know this? When we were, if we're mature enough to recognize this, what confidence do we have that when we're being rational when we act according to these convictions? Right. Um, that these two facts seem to undermine any hope that what we're acting on is justifiable, is 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 defensible, rationally and justifiable. So, yeah, rationally justifiable. It seems to undermine it at least that I could have believed something completely different um, through through just sheer circumstance, um, and this realization maybe would 
you know, take the wind out of my sails when it comes to being motivated by my moral beliefs. So much of our moral beliefs are about like, well, it is the right thing to do. Therefore, I should act on it. Um, if you if you're not convinced that that's that it is the right thing to do, then why the fuck do you you know do you do it? Do you act on it? The conclusion that he draws, and then we'll talk about the the meat of the argument, but that it's true. We have strong reasons to doubt the truth of our moral beliefs and moral convictions because of the contingency of their origin. And yet, it's still rational to act according to those convictions. Right. So let's talk about, first of all, whether... I think we both probably agree with the premises, but I think some other people won't. Maybe some of our... New Ben Shapiro yeah. listeners will think, no, we have the rational... Uh, right. Uh, right. I know nothing about Ben Shapiro, by the way, so <laughs> totally unfair. I know, here he is retweeting you, doing you a solid. <laughs> most ungrateful. Just shitting on him. Like, I, yeah. I want to take a step back because I think it is it is a particular kind of problem that's... <laughs> I don't know what my voice did there. It sounded like I was going through puberty. It's a particular kind of problem um, <laughs> that is different from normal skepticism. Uh, You're becoming about, a man. Say our empirical, <laughs> finally, <laughs> about about our empirical beliefs, right? So there is a there's a standard sort of route to skepticism through the argument that, well, how are we to be sure about the empirical world around us? For all we know, we're brains and vats, or we're being controlled by an evil demon that's giving us hallucinations. Um, and therefore we can't really be certain that the world, the underlying reality is the same as the way we perceive it to be. And he says, you know, yeah, fine. That's, that is a class of argument, but, but it's not quite like the one that he's mounting here because for one, there's convergence of, uh, you know, if I see a pothole in the street, you probably see one too. Like there is the fact that we agree on basic, basic perceptual facts about the world around us is enough to to just say, like, well, it doesn't doesn't matter so much. Look, if there is an evil demon or for brains and bats, it really has no implications. So the argument goes here for the way in which we act. We we act on the things that we perceive this. He says this kind of argument is is a little bit more distressing because there isn't that level of agreement. Well, the, yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no positive evidence that we are brains and vats, but yeah. there is positive evidence that our moral beliefs are the result of that's right our contingent circumstances and backgrounds and environment. Right. Yeah, it's uncontroversial, um, but it will matter. Later on, he gets into this. It will matter what the nature of that disagreement is. And this is the first worry that I had about about this, which is I think a lot of times philosophers and, and maybe psychologists too, that we overestimate the degree of moral disagreement. He talks about this a little bit, but I think that in many, many cases, moral disagreements are really just disagreements about about facts of the matter. Right. So you might take like immigration or something, which might seem like a moral disagreement, but probably a lot of the disagreement there is over the economic and maybe, you know, the the economic consequences of our immigration right. policies and the amount of crime that is either increased or decreased by it. Like, there's a lot of facts 
that people disagree disagree upon and were they made aware of those facts they might have different judgments but still i actually don't think that i think you're right about that but i don't think that affects his argument because we sometimes often don't have any necessarily good reason to think that we have our facts right either right yeah, maybe so, but I th- but then it becomes a different sort of argument, which is: is there a reliable way? Is is you know epistemologically reliable way to get facts clear? And that seems like less daunting of a problem because. So um, my but like my a, point is, I think what you were leading to was that this uncertainty is about the more only the moral disagreement, and I think we can incorporate some of the factual uncertainty into this argument too. Yeah, like maybe, but I think what I wanted to emphasize was that the we know when we would see a, a right scientific answer. Like if we could fast forward a thousand years, and the claim was that the the Earth is going to get hotter unless we do this. If we could fast forward a thousand years, there would be a true answer there for us awaiting. Um, and that doesn't seem to be the case with a moral fact, which is in general what I want to talk to you about. Like it seems to assume that what we care about are are uncovering moral facts. Is that right? Is this argument so, really sort of, yeah. I, I don't think so. I I think yeah. this is, at bottom, a paper about how do we make confident judgments about what we have reason to do. Now, I took it that what you were saying was that sometimes these moral disagreements are actually, at bottom, not moral disagreements, but factual disagreements. Um, right. which is true, but I still think there's still that question, given that we don't know the facts uh, for sure, yeah. and we still have to make a decision. We have to make a decision now. What do we do? We can't wait a thousand years to see who is right. We have to make yeah. the decision now, and so now we're faced with this, is it, am I just going into this blind, or right. do I have reason to do anything, or 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 not. Now, yeah. I think the problem gets even more, what's the word? Unwieldy. <laughs> Just vexing, or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you, if it's not even a factual disagreement, but yes. say a moral disagreement at bottom, you know, maybe the abortion debate is yeah, an example Yeah, or like capital this. punishment, right? Like that the, the people who kill ought to die. Right. right. It's sometimes that turns on an empirical disagreement. Like when people say that the that the reason to have it or not have it is because of the effect it will have on future crime. Yes. What about if you're so forget you're, you're saying it's not about deterrence. I, yeah. Whatever its effect on deterrence is, is not the issue. The issue is that somebody who has killed somebody does deserve to die. And the state is if is right to put them to death. The state has right. the right to do that. Or anybody. That. Let's just say yeah. let's just say anybody. Like they just deserve to die. Yeah. Like like right. Let's say you say yes, I say no. We seem to be at a standstill. Right. right? And part of what it means to have a moral belief is is to think that it is true um, and to think that yours must not be true if it contradicts right. mine. And but and that's yeah. If you had had my background or yeah. then you would be believing what I believe. Right. And so he says, like, how does that not fuck us up? Right. How yeah. does it not fuck us up that, that that's the case? And um, what I what I want to hear you say a little bit more about is that in the way that I framed it, for instance, 
you believe that someone who kills ought to die. I don't. Is it only a problem if I think there's a tr- just an underlying objective truth? Isn't it only vexing if if I think that that there is a true statement there? And so, one of us so is your it wrong. idea is if we don't think there's a fact of the matter then we won't have a problem acting according to that belief. Yeah, so say I like, and this will get to a little bit later in his argument too, but say I love chocolate ice cream and you hate it. Yeah. Um, I'm not vexed by this. Like I know that the reason I like chocolate ice cream is just that I was born and raised in a particular way. My genetics are a certain way and, and yours are not. And I have reason to act on my preference and you don't. And that doesn't seem to to toss my aesthetic judgments into, into question in the same way that, that they would for a moral question. But I think only because we think that moral questions really have a correct answer to them. I mean, I actually think that that's along the lines of what he's going to end up arguing in the conclusion of that moral judgments end up being just like all these other judgments that we make aesthetic or other kinds of value judgments that maybe we're not that committed to there being a fact of the matter. But I, I just to try to entertain this idea. So let's say somebody has killed our best friend and we've found the person who did it. One of us thinks we should kill him. The other one doesn't. And now one of us has the gun and has to like, let's say I have the gun and I have to decide whether to do it or not. You're saying screenplay by Tamler Summers. Exactly. (laughs) A a film de uh, you're saying I shouldn't. I'm saying I should. Now, as I am deciding whether to pull the trigger, like it really matters to me whether I think that I have any good reason to think that my view is more right is, is better founded, more plausible than yours. Because I'm about to make a big fucking decision. It's not right. So it's not like chocolate ice cream. This is right. like. This is like, I'm going to either take a life or not take a life. And so I would want to be fairly certain, not necessarily that my view is objectively true, but at least that it's a a kind of a plausible way to act under the circumstances. Right. There's some level of naive, you know, so not to toss around the lingo too much, but so there's some sort of naive cognitivism or realism or objectivism that see like a not fully fleshed out, but in the way that people think about those moral beliefs. Like, they think that they're true in some meaningful way. They're not just saying, like, no, I kind of like... But I think that's also because of the gravity of the some of these decisions. You know, like, deciding whether to have an abortion. Deciding whether, like, like this is... This is... These, these are... You don't think it's serious to choose chocolate or... <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it change. might be, like, if you were talking about you know, what career to go into, not necessarily a moral decision unless you're Will McCaskill, but like, you know, it also might, you might want to think, holy shit, I I have good reason to think that this is, and that might be more parallel. Right. What you're saying is we're, when we're talking about moral beliefs versus just simple preferences, we might be confounding it with severity or seriousness of gravity the judgment. of the, judgment. the gravity of the judgment so so maybe maybe we wouldn't think that it's a fact to i mean part of what it means to make a moral claim is that it is serious i suppose so i'm trying to think of a trivial moral claim like uh i ought not uh, park in a handicap spot 
or something, right? Yeah. Like if I really truly believe that to be morally uh, right, even though the consequences, I mean, maybe to a handicapped person trying to to park there that day, even though there's a gajillion of those, um, it seems like <laughs> right. There's like twelve <laughs> of them, and nobody's ever in. Yeah, them. I know it's the most, <laughs> and they're right in front of the uh, store. Yeah. So unfair. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't you, know that. Are I you would, listening, Ben I, Shapiro? This is a <laughs> this is actually a, an interesting empirical question. Do low like fairly non-consequential and in the sense that they're not serious there's not grave moral decisions are we less likely to claim that they're true i think we're i think we're probably less likely to claim that it's true but we're also less i think we're definitely less likely to be bothered by the the considerations that he's pointing to yeah if i think that i ought not to park in a handicapped spot it's, and then I reflect that the reason I think that is because I grew up and my family always ne- never parked there. And it's just not going to bother me that much that that's the result. So l- l- let's sort of, I think you could disagree with, uh, and I think maybe some of our listeners do disagree with the claim that we don't have good reason to believe that our moral beliefs are the correct ones. Right. I mean, this is exactly, remember in, in our Sam, when we recorded yes. our episode with Sam Harris. I think he, you were, on Waking Up, right? Yeah, on Waking Up. You know, you were expressing something like like this. And I think we both feel this way. We, it's it's always good to to just be a little humble about whether or not we, we're believing the right thing because we might be wrong. And Sam was like, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. Because and we were talking specifically about the, the abortion paper. Yeah. Um, that we had, he said, I think I'm not, I, I'm not vulnerable to some of those biases and those, you know, wrong. Right. Because he's really, he had really thought it out. Right. Yeah. So his view, and I think a lot of people might in fact think that, especially listeners to this podcast who, who obviously spend a lot of time thinking about moral shit. Right. Yeah. And I think that George Shore has a good line about this. He says, if I'm tempted to think otherwise, if I'm tempted to think that my beliefs are really well founded, he said, I need only remind myself how often such situations arise. If I am entitled to assume that you have been less successful than me in purging your thinking of causally induced error, then I must be entitled to make the same assumption about the great majority of others with whom I disagree, about the vast numbers of intelligent and sophisticated vegetarians, pacifists, postmodernists, deconstructionists, gender feminists, pro-lifers, proponents of partial birth abortion, neutralists, advocates of hate speech codes, fundamentalists, libertines, rigorists, and egoists. I don't know what a rigorist is, to name just a few. But although it is certainly possible that I have been more successful in avoiding error than some of these others, this is likely on statistical grounds alone. It strains credulity to suppose that I have been more successful than all or even most of them. It would be something of a miracle if out of all the disputants, it was just me who got it all right. I think that's, uh, by the way, like George Shore has a, a slightly conservative bent, as you could probably. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, but like libertines. Like This sounds awesome. <laughs> No, like you're one of those, those people who disagrees. Uh, yeah, with that. Uh, <laughs> and a guy. Well, and I am a hardcore rigorist. <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know what that is. Do you? I I, I have no idea what a rigorist have to ask is. George. Uh, yeah, 
Um, and you're a proponent of partial birth abortion. <laughs> uh, well, if you're going to eat meat, you might as well <laughs> kill babies. Um, uh, I care, as I've said, I care about consistency more than anything. Um, so so uh, yeah. his point is, is that 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 position that Sam Harris maybe were unfairly attributing to him is is really implausible. And I think while Sam sort of baldly stated that that's his view, I and and we didn't. We often act as though yeah, we absolutely. we're we're right and we have good reason to think that we're right. Well, and this is part of sure sure's and and by the way, Sam has admitted to changing his mind on our podcast. So it's not I don't believe yeah. Sam that he always thinks that. But that that point that like were we to not have the belief that we had arrived at this through some reliable process is the very point of the paper, which is that there is a reason we walk around thinking that we arrived at it through the right means um, when, whenever we do reflect on it, because not thinking that would seem to really undermine what, like why, like why would you act so seriously on a belief that you have such little faith in? Right. Why would I go to the polls and vote for candidates if yeah. I really didn't think I had, any better reason than the people who are going to vote in exactly the opposite way than I am. Yeah. You might, I mean, you might as well flip a coin in a two party system. Yeah. Like, so, but, but this is different than thinking there is no right answer, which might also deflate, deflate you. Like you might, you might go into it thinking like, well, there are no moral, like a moral, any moral claim is ridiculous to begin with. So I have like, this is just like me saying I like ice cream. So fuck you. I'm going to vote for the NRA or whatever. Um, this is, this is an argument that would undermine somebody who who walks around thinking that they have good reason to act. Yeah, which I take it most people. I mean, do. so I don't know if this is part of the conclusion or this is you know if you have a judgment that's not necessarily a moral judgment, but say a judgment about what movie to go see or something like that between a bunch of movies, reflecting on the causal now that doesn't work as well because in that case even if your your judgment about what movie to see is is the result of your contingent history it's still your contingent history yeah so maybe that's but maybe that's what he th says about moral beliefs too yeah right so yeah that gets us to that but but i very much think that things like aesthetic judgments it is not it is not a, that much of a difficulty that that these contingent facts gave rise you know the fact that i was born and raised in the time and place that i do i know that's why i like rap music like there's no getting around that that's why i came to enjoy rap music yeah. and and it, it's it would be weird for me to say everybody ought to um like rap music at the expense of other forms of music because it's not that's not at all tied to my expression of liking rap music so what he's what he wants to do is block the inference from i have no good reason to believe that my own moral judgments are more likely to be justified or true than those of innumerable others who disagree with me so block the inference from that to i cannot rationally base my actions on my own moral judgments right that's the thing that he's he does at the end of the paper he says yeah. I need to demonstrate that rational for me to base my actions on my own moral judgments, not just because I think that I have really strong reasons for believing that the judgments are justified or true. 
but rather the analogy is to any other form of practical deliberation where you might have equivalent reason to doubt the rationality of at least of the process by which you got those beliefs, but yet you nonetheless still act on them, right? Yes, I mean, take an example. I don't know if this is moral, but I think it might be like the what we talked about last time, uh, which got some debate on our Reddit subreddit. You know whether I should have used the N word or not, right? Right. And that's a question that you know, in the end, I determined that I should say it, but bleep it out. I know that there are people, there are plenty of people who disagree with that. And so the question is, knowing that there are plenty of people who disagree, knowing that. I don't have any great reason to think that my view on it is more well-founded or justified than the people who disagree with me. Do I have good reason to still go ahead and do it? And George Schur says, yes, I do. Yeah. Simply because it's my, it's, they're still my, even though I might not be as justified it's still my reasons and my background. And so that justifies or that makes it rational for me to act according to that. Right. So this, this is the, the step that, that confused me a little bit, but it's clear. It became clear when you realize that the, the question that he's starting with is simply that of, is it rational to act on your beliefs? Which, which makes sense. I think in the way that you said it, the fact that they are my beliefs um, uh, motivating me to act. It's not irrational to act on them. Um, however, what it sound, what the paper sounded like it was gonna do was offer a way out of actually endorsing those beliefs as rationally justified. So, cause, cause what he's saying basically is, well, look, like to me, it became clear when you said, like, what option, like, what would be your other option to act in an opposite way? Like, that would be really weird, right? right. Like, it would be really weird if you said, like, I grew up like, believing in pro-choice. Um, and now that I have come to doubt whether or not that process was a reliable one at acquiring moral truth and that other people who believe the opposite of me might have the exact same sort of sense of its rightness. And in both cases, it's just an accident of our upbringing. It would be extra irrational for me to then just flip my, my decision, right? That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, the only thing we have, I mean, some way, the, the way I read the argument is the only thing we have to go on are our own moral beliefs. So it's not irrational to go on them. It still leaves me with some skepticism about my moral beliefs. So, but I mean, again, think about what your other options are. Uh, yeah. Which you could flip a coin. Like, do I have an abortion or not? I think the <laughs> other live option that he considers is okay, maybe I just act according to my non-moral beliefs. And anytime there, I just completely disregard yeah. my moral beliefs and only act according to non-moral beliefs. And yeah, that's like, where he says, those they're not different, really. You know? The, yeah. and, and maybe this is a place to press, to press uh, the argument, but he says, look, you don't have any better reason to believe, you know, your non-moral value judgments then your moral value judgments, you don't have any better reason to believe they're justified. So I'm willing to grant that that given if you do believe that the the veracity or whatever, the rightness of your moral beliefs is is undermined by 
by the, their contingent nature. I'm, I, you know, I'm convinced that it's still rational to act on them. But what I'm not convinced about is that that this is at the same level of uncontroversial rationality of acting on your, say, aesthetic judgments. Even so, it just really is something completely like it. It is not intrinsic to my aesthetic judgment that it that they be objectively right in a way that it is seems to be for my moral judgment. And importantly, because and I think this is what one of the reasons that that maybe he gets away with this limited argument. One of the one of the differences is that my moral beliefs are generally not just about what I ought to do, but about what everybody else ought to do. And um, there it, it, it seems to me to be really important that I'm believing the right thing because my moral actions don't just influence my deliberations for action. They influence my desire to influence, you know, my, my desire to change the behaviors of others who are acting wrongly. And I think that it, given these two arguments about disagreement and about the contingent nature of our beliefs, it doesn't seem rational to try to convince somebody else of the moral truth of my position. Right. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. So one sort of conclusion you might draw from this is, okay, if it's a totally, if it's a personal decision that I have to make about my own conduct. Well, yeah, I got to just act according to what I think is right at the time. And, um, but when it comes to condemning other people for their moral beliefs, or when it comes to trying to persuade, or in some cases, compel other people to act according to my moral beliefs, I need, I, I better be convinced that yeah. my my judgments are more well justified than competing judgments. Right, exactly. So I, I don't think he tackles that alternative or that question too well, but I think there the there's the grist for that by saying, okay, but we do still have to have laws, and we do still yeah. have to vote for those laws, and we do still engage in blaming and praising behavior and so again what is your alternative you could be completely laissez-faire but now you're by doing that you're taking a moral position too yeah but that's why i think it's important because because of that social nature of these moral beliefs and the desire to regulate everyone else i think it is important to have to not just sort of accept the you know premise B that these beliefs are completely contingent, um, but to actually try to to figure out a process by which we can right. ac- acquire things that might be and that I, I don't want to say true because I, I I think that that's part of what makes this argument problematic to begin with. I think that and this is going to be very very poorly fleshed out um, and we're already <laughs> been recording for too long. But I think something like morality and moral rules and moral beliefs are really about finding a way to live with other agents in the world who have intentions, desires, hopes, and beliefs in a way that, that can make everybody live in some functional harmony. And there is no, there just is no objective fact about whether something is right or wrong, including whether or not it's right or wrong to, uh, to kill somebody who's killed someone you love. 
like that i think it is it is something that is worked out between people living in a society as to what is the best way of getting together in this society and it sounds i know it sounds like a relativistic argument but i don't think so i think that there is a reliable way in which like you can talk to people and arrive at things that are fair and agreed upon um without having to give up whether or not there is a right a better or a worse way of of making moral judgments but without having to think that these like we have to just like if we dig far deep enough we'll find the ultimate moral rules right you are you know you might think of society i know a lot of people do think of society that way that really morality at bottom is just how are we supposed to set up a society so that we can all get along in the best possible way i i i think though that the problem comes when there's still going to be all these decisions like do you support affirmative action policies or something yeah. where it you know, maybe you have to set a policy in your department or your, you know, about whether to um, give favor to more diverse candidates. You're going to have to go by what you believe without being certain that what you believe is either is well-founded on that. And you just, there's no way out of that, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I actually, like in this discussion, it may, I think something there, I have a little bit more clarity about what, about what I think about those situations, which is that I think it gets us into trouble to think that there is a right or wrong answer to say affirmative action that people just are, you know, they don't get it or they do get it. Right. And I, and I think that, that having a bit of humility about what right might be, including the empirical, you know, the, the empirical objectives as well as concerns about justice if if we released a little bit the stubbornness in thinking that there was a you know that once we found the secret code of all that is right and true and moral that it would give us the answer to affirmative action we just admit that hey there is no true like in fact in some situations it seems very appropriate in some situations it might not be appropriate for either empirical concerns or concerns about justice and the only way to get around it sometimes is to say well look like we're going to slightly value this thing in the hopes that it will bring about this thing. But, uh, but I am open to reevaluating and saying this shit didn't work or this was wrong. And I think that that attitude can give us progress, but the attitude that it, there is a right thing or a wrong thing will just, all it will do will keep, is keep us fighting. Yeah, like, no, I agree. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a point that exudes from the paper, which is that we should have humility. Right. Um, about our moral beliefs and we should be humble when we enter moral debates with other people we should recognize the contingency of our beliefs and the 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 way in which that gives us reason to doubt their truth or doubt whether they're justified um, in comparison to the people we're debating with he doesn't really say that in the no. paper, though, like he, he kind of you would get from the paper that just act like you believe it's right. true, you know, right. uh, embrace your chocolate ice cream, embrace your chocolate ice cream. Now, it's what's funny is knowing George, he is he has a lot of humility as a person yeah. when he enters these debates. Like, yeah, I, I have moral disagreements with him. 
and uh, he's one of the most productive people to have moral disagreements because he really does. So I, I think he has internal, maybe he's internalized it so much that he doesn't think it needs to be said right. in the paper. But I think it, it definitely is the conclusion that you would naturally draw from what he's arguing. Yeah. And, you know, like to bring it back to our discussion, say, of Louis C.K., for instance, yeah. like what I'm what I don't think follows from this is that you would fail to condemn, say, the initial actions of Louis C.K. that got in trouble. I actually don't think that's what's going on at all. Right. So I think that it's it would be a failure. It would be wrong to say that what this leads us to is an inability to defend any moral claim. And I think that one of the problems is that, you know, that the term moral and all that it means encompasses so many different beliefs, but some of those beliefs actually pass the test of widespread agreement. And I think most people would think that let's not make it about Louis C.K., but just like something like rape, that's just wrong. What's at debate is what to do about it. That's a more complicated issue, like the role of forgiveness or the role of justice. Those are the ones that there might be less agreement about, and those are the ones that we should be more humble about. I don't need to be humble about murder, for instance. Right. You know? But I, and so, but this is exactly what we're often not humble about. One of the things that made me want to talk about Louis C.K. was seeing something on Vox that said, like, what men don't get about the Louis C.K. thing. So right there, you're just making it about, uh, and it was by a guy too, which makes it kind of (laughs) extra insufferable. Like what men, like this guy has figured it out, but other men just don't get it. The, The implication there is there isn't room for reasonable disagreement on this. And on a, on an issue like that, you know, the timing of him doing a, a set at the comedy cellar to not take a more humble attitude just seems count, not only yeah, counterproductive, yeah. but also just uh, I, uh, that level of just self-deception about how obviously right you are. Well, yeah, and and I think that there is sometimes a little hand waving because you you start and and by the way, I think we're we're just particularly sensitive to the the left leaning uh, yeah, claims of certainty because those are the people we listen to and follow. But you know, I was on, I was following a Twitter debate about this controversy in comic books that's just ridiculous, and I it just happened upon a feed <laughs> where it was just a bunch of like really, really, really harsh uh misogynists and whatever who are just like no we're right like you're, yeah. you're just dumb to um now, of course and, we're uh, always going to be harder on the people that we, yeah, yeah that we're exposed to yeah it, it's and i but i i think that this gets to to the the heart of it there's a little bit of a bait and switch when you there is a thing that we should have widespread agreement about which is what he did was wrong um and you talking about the consequences in a nuanced way indicates to me that you just don't get that it's wrong and that's not in fact what's going on i think that by moralizing like by by treating some of the things that uh for which there is nuance and widespread disagreement about facts and about values um, by treating them the same way in which we treat things for which there is widespread agreement by like by lumping them all together as moral claims and saying there is a truth or a falsity to it like you don't you don't. You wouldn't think that murder is okay. You wouldn't think that rape is okay. How can you think that Louis C.K. performing is okay? Um, there is where it's like, no, like we've made it a sort of a, a, a category mistake by calling these all moral claims. 
some of them are some of them just have the property of widespread endorsement um and most most societies throughout most of history have agreed that certain things are just wrong um there are some things that are just too fucking complicated that you have to really work out as people living in a society but i guess so my point is when there is a case like this where there's widespread <laughs> disagreement and yet you still have a strong opinion about it what we're not good at i don't know if we ever were but we're certainly not today it seems like is acknowledging that we that that people who disagree with us are not obviously wrong or immoral and that as strongly as we feel about it it we as the title of the paper says <laughs> We could be wrong. We really right. could be wrong. Like I think for those kinds of debates, uh, and and it's precisely the ones where there's widespread disagreements because it really just doesn't. Cause it's just not a problem when there's wide. If we all agree, right. then whether we're right or wrong doesn't matter because we're gonna do it. But when we don't agree, that 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 level of humility hopefully could a could allow for respectful debate and and progress between right. two sides coming to understand each other uh, so let me ask you this maybe as a way of yeah. wrapping up when you responded to that tweet and you said this is bullshit <laughs> total bullshit yeah. yeah were were you intending to uh indicate a moral claim with certainty yeah so one thing a takeaway is people need to show more humility and then they'll realize i'm right about serena and louis ck <laughs> <laughs> I, I fear that that's the way that these arguments could be used. <laughs> uh, you should be humble about your beliefs about the thing that, uh, that and I then know that, and that your humility will uh, <laughs> yeah. illuminate the obvious truth of what I'm saying. Um, so, okay, why did I do it? it? I think I did it. It was football, first NFL Sunday. I'd had a few drinks. This had been really bothering me. This had been <laughs> no, bugging me. I don't mean me. why you did it. I mean, did you really have certainty in your moral claim? Well, it was more of an empirical claim that I was making. Right. Yeah, so it wasn't yeah. a moral claim. Uh, it but was, which gets us to this, I think there's a bait and switch about when, about like, well, you're making a moral claim, even though, you know. It was an empirical though. statement that there was a double standard in the fans' media response to Serena versus uh, Macron yeah. Connors. But you're right that it was a morally, like, I, you know, you're sending... But that's what's so fucked up about discourse. <laughs> like, just a basic factual disagreement, you're sending out moral signals. Like, that's yeah, not... Yeah. You no, know, that's a, that's yeah. the heart of what's wrong with it. That's that's the heart of it. You know, it's like, almost like there ought not to be moral discourse in, in that setting. In Twitter? On Twitter? Yeah. yeah it it's almost all be as about if. ice cream flavors. <laughs> it, should, it's just the, it should all just be about ice cream flavors. And, you know, yeah, there was a time rappers. where people would tweet out like they're, like what they had for lunch, and that exactly, was the joke yeah. about those, Twitter. Those were the days. Yeah. Now it's like... Uh, uh, it's, it's like I'm getting doxxed and my life threatened. Uh, remember when we used to tweet about breakfast? Um, yeah. <laughs> I still... Uh, I maintain that death threats like aren't really death threats there's no threat of death uh, um i i have no well i do have opinion on the matter I, you're not saying that con it's inconceivable that somebody could issue a real death threat is that, i no, can see why but i'm saying right. that uh empirically empirically that, they, that those things are 
Yeah. They're not actually about going to kill you. Right. But but nonetheless, they are threatening. And so you might just think that it's a level of threatening that I don't accept. But, you know, like, uh, well, this is this is a totally different issue. So we're not going to <laughs> this is going to get cut out. But like there is this escalation of what counts as a threat and what counts as threats to your safety. And although I, I really do feel like you would be like you would be seeing red if somebody tweeted out a death threat to your daughter totally yeah well kind right. of somebody so did I, I don't the, think... the first amazon review <laughs> yeah right and i and i don't so i don't think that you need to empirically believe that there's a connection between you getting yeah. killed um, but to, uh, to be no no, no. i'm just saying that people <laughs> like this is something that my ben shapiro followers know more about than i do <laughs> but like this idea that People start to use the term violence and safety in ways that sort of dilute what those words mean to a point yeah. where it's hard to take Well, them you know, uh, yeah. And again, this becomes this this sort of black and white issue where where then the opposing viewpoint means you shouldn't be bothered by these by things. By anything that anybody says ever. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's like, that's the wrong thing. Like I was, I was bothered by that Amazon review. Like, oh, yeah, they, I was bothered like, by it. <laughs> but, uh, um, that's, Were you going to send a couple of hard pipe hitting brothers it, to? <laughs> I had a quote public. No, just say the word and I'll beep it out. <laughs> uh, all right, all right. Well, thanks uh, if for those if this ever comes out, which is definitely, <laughs> <laughs> like, I would think unlikely. Uh, thanks for listening to us this long, and. Yeah, join us next time on Very Bad Witches.